The following message, entitled, Living Wisely in Evil Days, part 10 of the series, United, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 11th of September, 2011, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Thanks for coming, everybody. My name's Mark. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I'm also one of the pastors here at Sovereign Grace Church. So thank you for coming. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We've been in a series on the book of Ephesians called United. Because one of the themes of Ephesians is God's plan to save a people and unite them together in Christ from all over the world, all kinds of people, and to eventually unite all things together in Christ. This message is titled, United, Living Wisely in Evil Days. Living Wisely in Evil Days. And yesterday I talked with Jim Rice, who is a member of this church. Jim, are you here? He's, he's serving as an usher. Oh, there he is, Jim Rice. And uh, Jim served in Vietnam, and he told me uh, years ago about one of his experiences, but I called him to just talk to him about it again. He said I could share this with you all. And he said, he said this, When I landed there in Vietnam, I was assigned to the 101st Airborne as an infantryman and the sergeant of the squad I was in, which was 10 to 12 guys, said, Rice, I want you to carry the machine gun or the M60, which was one of the heavier weapons. And Jim said, I said I'd rather not. (laughs) Jim said, I'd rather carry an M16, which was lighter. And and the, the sergeant said, well, you're one of the bigger guys. And Jim said, I'd rather not. And so the sergeant said, okay, tomorrow you'll be walking point. And walking point, Jim said, was probably the most challenging and dangerous position in the outfit. Point man, the point man, would be about 25 yards out in front of everyone else in the Vietnam jungle. And about 10 to 25 yards back behind the point man would be a guy they called the slack man. Sounds like something I would be good at. (laughs) I don't know what the slack man did, but kind of appeals to me. (laughs) And 10 to 25 yards back from the slack man would be the rest of the squad. And the point man would have to look everywhere for ambushes, trip wires, booby traps, snipers. Jim said every sense was on edge. Jim said I was nervous, I was fearful. And he actually said that everyone in the whole squad was nervous and on edge, listening, looking around, ready for anything. And Jim said the motto every day was stay alert stay alive. Stay alert, stay alive. Jim said we would hear that a hundred times a day. Guys would tell each other that 
officers would say that. Jim said, we didn't talk out loud. We whispered as we were going through the jungle. We tried to keep the equipment from rattling. Jim said, we would stop and listen. Anything suspicious or that looked out of place, they would stop. If there were footprints of the enemy or a freshly cut trail, and the point man would, if he saw something like that, would stop and signal for all to get down and lay quietly for a while on the jungle floor. Jim said we didn't travel very fast. We didn't get very far in a day. Most of the time we had to cut trails through the jungle with machetes. It was hard work cutting through vines and having to be vigilant at the same time. Lots of times it was pouring down rain in the monsoon season. He said it was hot. It was 90 to 110 degrees. Jim said it was so wet that leeches would be on the leaves and vegetation and get on you as you brushed past. Jim said you get leeches down your collar leeches up your sleeves, in your boots. You might have half a dozen on you at any one time of the day. And there were thick vines that Jim said they called wait-a-minute vines that would catch on your weapon or your helmet and your shoulder. And you'd say, whoa, wait a minute. Anyway, Jim said, I took the point that first day. By the end of the day, I went to the sergeant and said, I'll carry the machine gun. (laughs) And he said, I came to like it. But I was struck by that phrase, stay alert, stay alive. And God tells us in our text this morning that believers in Jesus Christ must stay alert, stay alive. We too must live vigilant lives. For we live in perilous times and we have very real enemies. So let's look at Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 15. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we have been singing all morning about what you did for us. As a free gift, you saved us. But Lord, you call us to walk vigilantly not to be saved, but because we are saved. And Lord, we just ask You this morning to teach us from Your Word. And, and may this Word change the way we think about our lives and the way we live, Lord. Father, we thank You that this is not just a, 
a book of good advice. This is the word of the living God. So Lord, we just pray that you'd, you would let your word change us and affect our hearts so that we can bring you glory until the day we see your face. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What this passage is saying is that as children of light, believers must live wisely. It's pretty simple. It's not very complicated. As children of light, believers in Jesus Christ must live wisely. As I said when I prayed, we are saved or we are rescued by God, or we are made God's children, we are saved by grace, not works. And if you're new and if you've never heard that, what does it mean to be saved by grace, not works? It means this, no amount of trying to be good or doing good deeds can get us to heaven. No amount of human performance can bridge the gap that our sins have created between us and a holy God who will not allow one single sin into His presence. We can't save ourselves at all. We can't get to heaven on our own. But the Bible says that though we were helpless, God loved us for some reason and sent His Son Jesus, God the Son, into the world to live a life of perfect obedience. He never sinned once. But then He took our sins upon Himself as if He had committed them. And He was crucified on a cross. And He bore God's wrath against sin as our substitute in our place. And then He rose from the dead which proved He had paid for sin and God had accepted Jesus' sacrifice. And God offers Salvation as a free gift. An undeserved, unmerited gift. Not based on anything we do. He offers us salvation as a free gift if we're willing to turn away from our sins and put all our trust and all our hope in Jesus and what He did in His life and His death and His resurrection. So, our salvation is a free gift. But after God does save us, He calls us to live differently. He calls us to live a different life than before. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. And so He calls us. And last week we heard, as Stephen preached the previous passage, that believers were once darkness. But when we are saved, God makes us light in the Lord. He brings us into the kingdom of light, out of the kingdom of darkness, and transfers us into the kingdom of light. And the Bible even says we are light in the Lord. And so, God calls us to live as children of light. And so, believers as children of light must live wisely. And the first thing that... that the Word of God tells us this morning is that we are to seize the opportunity we have in this life. Here's what it means to live wisely. We're to seize the opportunity that God has given us in this life and live for the glory of God. And so in verse 15 and 16, he says, Look 
carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And when the Bible says the days are evil, it means this current age we live in is an evil age. Sin is abounding. We live in a fallen world. Someday this age we live in will end. Jesus Christ is coming back. He said He was going to come back visibly, physically. He's coming on the clouds with glory someday. And when He does, this evil age will end. And the Bible says God will create a new heaven and a new earth in which there is no sin, in which righteousness dwells. It will be a new age, a completely new era. But this age is fallen, evil, The human race is darkened in their minds, we read earlier in the book of Ephesians, following the prince of the power of the air. And and, and 1 John 5.19 says, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's why we have things like what happened ten years ago. Because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Men's minds are darkened. They hate. They are hated by one another. And we were once part of that world. The Bible says that we too once had our minds darkened. We too once hated others and were hated by others. We too were once part of the age of darkness. But now that we are saved and children of light, God has made us children of the age to come. We are children of the age to come living in a darkened age. So we have to live like the age that we're a part of. We are in the world, but not of the world. So we are to look carefully at how we walk. We're to stay alert. We're to live wisely. We're to pay close attention to our lives. Because this, spirit, this, this, this darkened spiritual age is characterized by tripwires, of temptation, booby traps, the enemy, we have a real enemy, the devil, who wants to destroy us. If he can't keep us out of heaven, he wants to ruin our relationship with Jesus Christ as much as he can right now. He wants to make a mockery of the name of Jesus so that as people see our lives, if He can get us to trip up and fall into sin, it, it brings shame on the name of Jesus. We have a real enemy. And so if, if guys in Vietnam had to stay alert, how much more do we? Because it's not our bodies that are in danger, but our souls. The Bible says we're in a war. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, in other words, you don't really belong here, you're exiles living in this world. You're just sojourners. You're just journeying through. I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. See, we're in a war. We have passions of our old nature that still remain with us that that if we don't watch our lives closely, those passions will rise up and they will attack us and lead us into sin and have damaging effects upon our soul. 
Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the war. There are demonic powers that want to destroy believers in Jesus Christ. Satan hates Jesus. And therefore, He hates you if you have turned to Jesus. And because we're in a war, we must look carefully how we walk. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart, your inner man, your inner being, your inner thoughts. Watch, watch out what you're thinking inside. Watch out what you're taking into yourself. Watch out what kind of relationships you have. Watch out what kind of movies you watch. Because watch over your heart. Why? Why should we watch over our hearts with all vigilance? Because from it, it says in Proverbs 4.23, from it flow the springs of life. Whatever we take into our heart, Whatever we take into our mind will affect our spiritual well-being. And so if you watch all kinds of filthy movies, it's going to affect you. It's waging war against your soul. If you read impure books, if you watch impure things on YouTube, if you, if you make lots of impure comments or read them on Facebook, it's going to affect your soul. And so we have to be Vigilant. We have to be diligent. We have to be careful. We have to look ahead. Proverbs says that a wise man looks ahead and sees danger and takes another way. But Proverbs says a fool sees the danger and just keeps going. I remember years ago talking to a guy about just the kind of movies he watched. He watched a lot of movies with impure stuff in them. And the guy said, you know what, I can handle it though. I can handle it. And I, I just urged him. I, I said, you know, you know, it's not a sin to watch a movie, but if you're just watching movies that are filled with impurity and you're watching that, you're, at least you're not, you're not even fast-forwarding it or anything. You're just sitting there. He said, I can handle it. Well, that man is not walking with the Lord today. And I don't know if that's what the, the reason was, but I believe that that has an effect upon us. So we have to... Watch out. Watch over our lives. In addition to watching our lives carefully, we're supposed to make the best use of our time. That means seize the opportunity. Verse 15 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. And here's the way to walk wisely. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. In other words, we're in an evil age, but we still have opportunities to live for Jesus. We still have an opportunity to live for Christ. And this life is our one and only opportunity. You only have one life. I only have one life. This is it. God has given each of us one life to live for His glory. One life that will be over before you know it. I can't believe I'm 61. I really can't. It's funny. You talk, if you talk to old people, they'll say, they'll say, I don't know where my life went. I mean, on the inside, I still feel like I'm 23. 
And then I look in the mirror. I say, man, you're old for 23. You look bad for 23. And I, I just think, I, I can barely remember all the times when, uh, we had with my, with my kids when they were little. All, my, my kids are all grown up now. That's all gone. Where did it go? We have one life. It's going to be over soon. You young people think, oh man, i got just years and years and years ahead of you. You wait. You've got a tremendous opportunity right now. Seize that opportunity. You may think, ah, oh, you know what, I'll become a Christian when I get older. Maybe when I'm 30, I'll become a Christian. I'll start living for Jesus. Don't do that. You don't know. If you, if you have that attitude, you might not ever become a Christian. Seize the opportunity you have right now. Chuck Colson, who served in the Nixon administration and was arrested as part of the Watergate scandal and went to prison, says on this, this uh, quote I found in a book called Unpacking Forgiveness, says on July 8th, 1974, Chuck Colson went to prison. Only a couple years before, he had been chief counsel on the Nixon White House staff. He was nearing his 44th birthday when he went to prison for his involvement in Watergate. On January 31, 1975, he was released from prison after serving seven months. And he says this, When I arrived in prison, my caseworker told me, Just settle in. Accept it. This is where you live now. Don't think about your home. But he says he read a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he says, reading Bonhoeffer convinced me to do just the opposite. I drove myself to work as hard as I could. My entire day was consumed with writing, studying, doing my job in prison laundry, and exercising and helping other inmates I seldom allowed myself any recreation. More than anything else, I feared doing nothing. See, his Coles, Chuck Colson's caseworker said, just settle in. Accept it. This is where you live. Now don't think about your home. And that's just what the devil tells us. That's just what the devil says to us. Hey, have a good time. Settle in. Get comfortable here. This is your this this world is where you live. Don't think about heaven. Heaven is a long time away. Have a good time. You only go around once in life. Grab for all the gusto you can get. This is where you live. And the enemy whispers that to us, and Jesus says, Stay alert. Stay alive. Stay alert. Stay alive. If you, if you have not called on Jesus Christ to be your Lord and King and Savior, you're in danger. I'm not saying this for effect. I'm saying this is what the Bible says. This is what God's Word says. If you've not called on Jesus to be your Savior and King, if you die tonight, you will go to hell for eternity. Jesus does not want you to go to hell for eternity. But if you just settle in, you never think about eternity, Jesus says in His Word, He could come back at any time. Or we could die at any time. What will you say to Jesus, Jesus if He comes back today? 
Jesus would say to some of us in this room, wake up. Wake up. Escape this dark age. Escape God's judgment for your sins. I have provided the escape for God's judgment. And you're just wasting your life. Perhaps some of you who, who have called upon Jesus, maybe you've grown weary. Maybe you're tired of the battle. Maybe you've tried to live for the Lord, but you just feel like, you know, I'm tired of this. I just want to have some fun. I just want to relax. Don't settle in. Don't, don't just accept that this world is all there is. Think about heaven. Heaven is coming. Eternity is coming for all of us. This is an opportunity. This is your opportunity. Wherever you are, serve wherever you are. Some of you, your, your opportunity right now is to serve your young children. And your, and your calling as a, as a mom or as a dad, that's, that's a high calling. Some of you, your, your calling is to serve God as a student. And to be a, a, a representative of the age to come in a dark campus. Some of you, your calling is to go to work every day and serve Jesus at your job. But this is the opportunity we have. Let's seize it. We also are to, to live wisely. Not only do we seize the opportunities God gives us, but we pursue God's will. Actively pursue. And so in verse 17, Paul says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Understanding the will of the Lord keeps us from being foolish. If we think about the will of the Lord, we're not as likely to be foolish. And so, what does this mean, understand what the will of the Lord is? It doesn't mean we try to uncover some secret will of God. Like there's some secret will. Maybe it's this, this, the time when Jesus is going to come back, the exact day, and, and we're trying to uncover the secret will of God. Or maybe it's some secret will of God about my life. I don't know what God has for me in the future. Does He want me to do this? Or does He want me to do that? Does He want me to be married? Does He want me to be single? What's God's secret, mysterious will? That's not what He's talking about. That's kind of funny. You can read this passage and it says, Understand what the will of the Lord is, but Paul doesn't say what it is. Why doesn't Paul say, why doesn't he say, and here's what the will of the Lord is? Because he's already told us in the book of Ephesians. The whole previous part of the book, he tells us over and over and over again. Here's a few verses. Here's the will of the Lord. The will of the Lord is to save people, make them a holy people that He dwells in, a people who know Christ's love, who become like Christ. God's will is to save people, make them into a holy people He will dwell in, who become more and more like Christ. God's will is not some deep, mysterious thing that we can't know. Here's a few Scriptures. Ephesians 1.4 Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. See, that's God's will for our lives. We'd be a holy people. Ephesians 2.5 Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That was God's will. To save us. To make us alive spiritually. 
Ephesians 2.22 In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That's God's will. That we be built together as a people in which God can dwell. Ephesians 3.19 And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's God's will. He saved us. He made us alive so that we can know the love of Jesus Christ and be filled to the fullness of God. And then Ephesians 4.15 Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. That means we are to become more and more like Christ. God's purpose is this, to save us, make a people who are holy that He can dwell in, and then to fill us with the fullness of Christ and make us more and more like Christ. And so Paul says, if you understand that, if you understand that that's the will of God, you won't live foolishly. You, w- you won't live a sinful life. Just willfully living in sin. Now all of us fail, we all sin, but like, like Stephen said this morning, if he read the Scripture, if any of us do sin, if we ever do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. I'm not talking about the sins that, that all of us commit. We don't, want to, we don't want to sin, but we still all fail because we're still battling that. But what this is talking about is if you understand God's will to make you part of a holy people and to make you like Jesus Christ, you won't live a life of willful indulgence in sin. So that's how we walk wisely. By regularly thinking about God's will for our life. To make us like Christ. And so then we can evaluate all our activities in the light of God's will. Does this, line, does this thing I'm doing... Does this thing I'm doing line up with God's will to make me holy and like Jesus and be filled with the fullness of Christ? Will watching this movie this, that has all these inappropriate, immoral scenes in it make me holy and mature in Christ? Will hanging out with these people make me holy and like Christ? And so, we, we seize the opportunity we have. We regularly understand, meditate, think about God's will and purpose for our lives. And then we also live by the Spirit. Now see, everything I've said up till now, it could sound like all the effort is ours. You be diligent. You be vigilant. You pay attention to how you walk. You do this. You do that. And it's, it's true. We are to make an effort not to be saved, but because God has saved us. But the power is not our power. And so, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 18 through 21, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on. So first of all, when he says, don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. Drunkenness is just one example from Proverbs, particularly from the Old Testament. Drunkenness is an example of living unwisely. Drunkenness is an example of not watching the way we walk. 
living foolishly. Debauchery, if you don't know what that word means, it means excess. Excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. It's a lack of self-control. And drunkenness leads to all kinds of other sins. I don't have to explain it. I'm sure you know that drunkenness leads to immorality. Drunkenness needs, leads to fighting and murder. Drunkenness leads to all kinds of other sins. And so, Paul says, don't give in to a life of excess. That's not living wisely. The antidote to that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to live a life of wisdom in this evil age. And when we're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us. And He becomes the motivating life power of a believer's life. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. These are a couple of my favorite verses in the Bible. God says, And I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, I will make you alive spiritually. And I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know what? I could never keep all the rules of the Bible. I, I could never live as a Christian. I, I couldn't be good that way. I, I couldn't love my enemies. I couldn't do all the things Jesus says. Well, you're right. On your own, you can't. But if you come to Jesus Christ, He will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And the Holy Spirit within will motivate you and strengthen you and empower you to keep God's commands. That's what is so incredible about the Christian life. You compare Christianity to any other religion. Any other religion in the world will give you things that you have to do. Christianity is the only religion in the world that says God Himself will come and live inside you and give you the desire and the power to obey what God requires and asks. And so God says, you need, as an antidote to living a foolish life, as an antidote to living a life of, of sensuality and excess, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Live by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now look what, look what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this section is surprising. To me, this is, to me, this is like counterintuitive. Because Paul's been saying, okay, live carefully. Live this holy life. Watch your life. Be careful. Stay away from 
excess. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, naturally, my mind would think, okay, I'm going to be holy. It means I'm not going to do anything wrong. And, and our culture has this view of holiness that holiness is no fun. Holiness is dour face, stiff, white, uncomfortable collars. Holiness is, is being a prude. Holiness is never having any laughter. It's, it's, it's like, hey, quit laughing, I'm holy. And so to me, this is so, this is so counterintuitive. Because everything Paul's been saying, be, be careful, be vigilant, it almost sounds like, whoa, this is just going to be a hard life. This is going to be a, a serious life. This holiness is serious stuff. And then he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to be singing all the time. Live a singing life. Start singing. Have a joyful life. Let the Holy Spirit fill you with joy. Live a life of singing. Live a life of joy and gladness. We sing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We sing to Jesus. Make melody to Him with your hearts. We overflow in thanks to the Father. That, to, me, to me, that's a sort of a surprising effect of being filled with the Spirit after everything else He said. It's so great though, isn't it? The Christian life, the life of holiness, is a life of joy. It is a life of singing. Holiness isn't some kind of boring drudgery. It's joyful. So how do we live wisely? By living a life of joyful worship. If we're regularly singing God's truth to one another and singing to Jesus and giving thanks for all our riches in Christ, we won't want to live sinfully. Why? Because sin kills joy. Sin is against all that stuff. Sin will wreck our lives. Sin will kill our joy. Joy kills sin though. If we are filled with the joy of Jesus Christ, if we're pursuing Jesus Christ, then it's not a drudgery to be careful. It's I want to be careful so that I can continue to be filled with the Spirit and have joy. The Holy Spirit produces joy in our lives in singing. And one commentator I read says, not only does the Holy Spirit produce joy, but he says, if we do these things, it produces joy. If we, if we sing, it will produce joy because it is being filled with the Spirit. So he says, we sing to one another. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And the Holy Spirit causes us to edify and encourage one another. As we sing the truth of God's Word together, it strengthens us. Our faith gets stronger. That's why it's it's, it's, that's why our, our, our time of singing together every Sunday, it's not just a warm-up for the Word of God. It itself is a time of teaching and edifying and encouraging. I love it when, we, when, when the instruments pull back or stop and we just hear our voices singing together. I need to hear you guys singing to me. We need to hear each other singing to one another. It encourages us as we sing these truths. We encounter God together. I hear you singing about Jesus. You hear me. Colossians 3.16 says that when we sing to one another, the Word of Christ richly dwells in us. So that's a good reason to, to be a part of a church. 
It's not the same as singing with your TV set on Sunday morning. We need to sing together. We need to sing to Jesus too. He says singing and making melody to the Lord. And that's Jesus with your heart. The Holy Spirit fills our, so- our hearts with songs to Jesus. And this, this, he doesn't go into exactly how this plays out, but I think it really includes spontaneously singing to Jesus, singing while you're doing the dishes, singing while you're driving your car, sing with words, but sing without words. It says, making melody to the Lord with all your heart. I just like I like I just like singing myself. I I like whistling. <laughs> I like singing. I like humming. Probably be kind of strange here. The older I get, you'll just hear me humming along. <laughs> hey, I want to make melody to the Lord with, with my heart. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to regularly just fill you. This, this isn't talking so much about individual experiences. This is talking about living a life of responding regularly to the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And if you're suffering, if you're going through a trial, if you're hurting, ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, please give me joy. Fill me with your joy. Fill me with the joy of Your salvation. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Many of you, some of you, have been battered and beaten down by the world. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with joy. Give you songs in your heart. The Holy Spirit fills us. He makes us thankful as well. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now before we were saved... I read once, we were like pigs eating acorns under a tree and never looking up to see where they came from. But after we get saved, we're to regularly thank God by the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, when He fills us, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Continually, always, throughout the day, thanking God. Now when it says, For everything, what that's really talking about primarily is for everything God's done for us in Christ. It's for all that the first part of the book of Ephesians talks about. That He saved us. He made us joint heirs with Christ. He seated us in heavenly places with Christ. He made us children of light. He washed away our sins. I mean, all of the benefits we have in Christ, even if everything else is going wrong during the day, these things are, these things are still true of us as believers. And eventually we're going to experience the good of it in heaven. We begin to experience the good of it right now. But we'll experience its fullness in heaven. And so, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're just to continually give thanks for, for all our blessings in Christ. And there's plenty of other things we can thank God for too, material blessings. But this is really primarily talking about our spiritual blessings. But, but there's so many thousands of just normal, everyday blessings we can thank God for. Ian and Larissa Murphy have a thankfulness bulletin board on the wall in their living room. 
was just real, it's, a really, it's really cool. Get choked up. Larissa wrote thanks at the top of this cork board. And on the table next to it, there's a can of tacks, a pen, and a stack of post-it notes. And everyone who comes to their house is encouraged to write something they're thankful for, date it, initial it, and stick it on the board. And it's covered with these colored pieces of paper. It's really cool. In fact, it's got so many notes on it, now it's like on its second layer of notes. I just think, ah, what a great example of being thankful. Just finding a way to just regularly remind themselves that I've got a lot to be thankful for. And then finally, the last part of being filled with the Spirit, and, and Paul is, is introducing a new section. He's finishing this section. He's going to introduce the section you'll hear about next week. But he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When the Holy Spirit fills us, He makes us submitted people. In this evil age, nobody wants to submit to anyone else. And if you're not a Christian, at least my attitude and so many people's attitude in this world is, I don't want to submit to anybody. Who died and made you boss? You're not the boss over me. And most of us are in jobs where we have a boss, so we can't say that out loud. But I used to think it. But the Holy Spirit changes us. He calls His people to various kinds of submitted relationships. And so in the next section, Paul will explain that wives are to submit to their husbands who are to sacrificially love their wives. Children are to submit to their parents who love them and train them without exasperating them. Even slaves were called to submit to their masters who are to treat their slaves with kindness. So the Holy Spirit fills us with joy, fills us with thanks, and changes even our attitudes in our relationships with one another. And God calls every believer into various kinds of submitted relationships which God's Word lays out for us. So the conclusion is, stay alert, stay alive, don't settle in, this world is not your home, be your own point man. Keep your senses alert. Look ahead for temptation and take another route. If you see that something is starting to lead you into temptation, some activity that you're doing, cut it off. Flee temptation, the Bible tells us. Seize the opportunity that you have. This one life you've got, seize it. And use it for the glory of God wherever He has put you. And do all this by the, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Live a joyful life by the joy that the Holy Spirit gives you. Sing. Live a singing life. Sing to your children. Sing with your children. Sing in your car. Sing while you're doing the dishes. Sing to Jesus. Remember, sin kills joy, but our joy in Jesus will help us to kill sin. So I think right now, we should sing. I think we should stand and sing. So let's pray.
Let's have the band come up. Lord Jesus. Jesus, thank You that You didn't save us for a boring, hard, sour life of drudgery but You have saved us for a life of joy and holiness. And Lord, we we don't want sin to rob us of our joy. So would You help us to live vigilantly? Lord, as a church, would You please deliver us from temptation and sin? And Lord if there are individuals who have been ensnared in any kind of sin, would You help them today to turn from that? So they can experience Your joy again. Lord, for those who are downcast, would You fill them with joy? Would You freshly fill us with Your Holy Spirit? Lord, would... would would You please grant that our church could be characterized by joy? We just thank You, Lord. We believe it's Your will to do all these things. Thank You, Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh. In Jesus' name, Amen.